Good afternoon. My name is Jennifer Scheich with Ask ACEs, and today we just finished a great chat on childhood obesity with Dr. Barbara Fees. Dr. Fees is the director of the Family Resiliency Center and is a professor in the Department of Human Development and Family Studies here in the College of ACEs at the University of Illinois. Dr. Fees, the causes of obesity are increasingly complex, but you say that families have significant influence on children's dietary habits and weight. As a parent, I'll admit, that's a huge responsibility. Yeah, it sure is, and I think parents feel more and more pressure every day um, to provide a healthy environment for their kids, whether it's feeding them a certain kind of food, making sure they get enough exercise, protecting them from too much screen time, and oftentimes they don't really know where to turn. And so I think we wanna say from the outset that um, we don't wanna blame parents um, for children's dietary habits. We wanna be able to support them and know where to go for reliable, valid resources and try to clear the air about misunderstandings about the obesity epidemic in the United States. Well, that's great. Let's, let's get into some of the factors that contribute to childhood obesity. Could you explain a few of those to us today? Well, they are very complex, um, and it's, it's an interaction between our own genetic heritage, um, kind of where we came from. It's our own individual biology, how we, um, our, um, our microbiome um, interacts with the food that we eat. It is the kind of food, the types of food that we eat, the access that we have to food in our own neighborhoods, um, the kinds of physical activity that we engage in, um, the availability of space and green space, uh, to engage in physical activity uh, for children and to some extent to adults, um, exposure to targeted food advertising and how we relate to food advertising, um, the culture that we live in, uh, regulations around food and food policy, all of these things come into play um, when we try to understand um, healthy habits. How can we help children understand and act on actual hunger versus boredom or cravings? That's a really good question. Um, it probably starts at a very, very early age in, in trying to give children uh, good words and language to use when they respond to being full. So we really want them to pay attention to their own satiety cues of like, are you, do you feel full rather than just do you want more food? Um, and also to disentangle sort of the emotions that they have around food. Food is a very powerful emotional connector, and we want to we build that in positive ways. Um, the other part of that is to set up regular routines about when and where you're eating so that you're not just roaming around with a bag of chips um, and mindlessly eating because you're bored. So setting up those regular routines and giving some language about I feel full, my tummy feels full, um, and having it related to actual those physiological connections rather than just the emotions of I, I don't want to feel sad. Mm -hmm. One of our participants on the Twitter chat today asked this question that I wanted to bring up again. In the most serious obesity cases, do you find that parents believe there is a problem or even care? And what interventions are appropriate? Well, I think at the heart of it is that most parents and are um, committed to good health for their kids mm -hmm. and they're 
doing the best that they possibly can. Um, we have found in some research that's been conducted at the Family Resiliency Center and other places around the country that in some cases parents underestimate um, the weight of their children. So they don't really know how much their child weighs. And this gets to be a very, very sensitive topic. Um, so pediatricians um, try to show the growth charts for their kids, you know, and we all sat down with our pediatricians and we look at those trajectories or how rapid our kids are growing. And oftentimes we think more is good. And so we, we like to see a fast rate of growth. Um, but if it's too fast or if they are growing, their weight is growing at a faster pace than their age or their height, then there needs to be ways to sort of slow that down for their weight, but we don't want their height, of course, to, to slow down. So pediatricians are playing a more and more important role in terms of being able to talk with parents about healthy eating habits and, of course, getting enough physical activity. Other people that are also important in this area are child care providers because over three-quarters of children are in some out-of-home care more than 20 hours a week. So making sure that child care providers are providing healthy foods um, for kids and also getting enough physical activity. Um, and other family members can be uh, good sources of support. It's much easier to prevent um, unhealthy weight gain in kids than it is to treat. Um, so whatever you can do to establish these good habits from an early age, um, you're going to put kids in a much better place than trying to treat this um, at a later age. How much do multi-generational factors contribute to the propensity for childhood obesity? That's another great question. Um, in multiple ways. One is our genetic makeup. We, we are who our grandparents were. Um, and there's some great animal studies that show that kind of what our biology is is what our grandmothers ate. Um, so, but, you know, from human studies, we know what we eat um, and what we learn to cook often comes from our grandmothers, our mothers, um, and it's, it's a generational factor. So a lot of our dietary habits um, come from our families um, and those dishes are passed down across generations. So many times our food preferences are established based on the families in which we were raised. Um, that's also very much affected by culture. So our culture determines a lot of the kinds of foods um, that we're exposed to and the kinds of traditions that we, cre we create around food um, and the kinds of food preferences that we develop based on what those traditions are about. So, you know, whenever we talk about food, it's a very powerful organizer of our life, um, but it's always embedded in generational practices and it's always embedded in culture. When do children begin to develop their eating habits? Well, it probably starts at birth, um, and some may even argue before uh, birth, um, but uh, certainly um, the uh, practice of breastfeeding, whether infants are breastfed or not, how long they're breastfed, um, has an effect on the establishment of some of their food preferences later on, um, and we're learning more and more about that every day. Um, but then between about two and three years of age, 
Um, as any parent will tell you, that's also when children express their desires about many things. Um, and they also express their desires about food between mm -hmm. those ages as well. And um, so after they sort of transition to solids, um, after that first year of life, then they start to really indicate their preferences for different tastes um, and textures around food. So between two and three years of age is really when those preferences start to set in. They've got language um, to tell you what they like and what they don't like. Um, they've also developed that strong sense of autonomy of, you know, who I am, and that's also gets connected with food. Mm -hmm. Yes, yeah, so as a mother of a two-and-a-half-year-old who likes to eat cheese all of the time, <laughs> you know, you can't exist on cheese alone, but, you know, how long does it take for kids to develop tastes for new foods? Well, the research has indicated that it usually takes between 15 and 20 exposures of a new food for a child to really latch on to the food. Um, but most parents give up after five or six times. Um, and you can certainly understand that. I mean, if you have a child that's throwing food, which is not unlikely, um, when they don't really like something, um, then that's an unpleasant interaction. And you just say, well, I don't want to expose my child to something that's distressful, and I don't want to engage in a distressful interaction, so I'm just going to go on and try something else. Um, but, you know, you can, you can be creative. Um, you know, a lot of times people will put salad dressings on uh, particularly bitter-tasting vegetables um, or uh, different kinds of toppings um, or cut food into interesting shapes. You just always want to think like a two- or three-year-old um, in terms of what they might like and then try not to give up, give them a break, give, give them a little holiday from a food maybe they'll forget and then uh, come back and try to reintroduce it later. Those are good points. Let's move on to another topic that I know um, you have a heart for as well. Let's talk about sleep. Mm -hmm. How much sleep should children get? Well, it really varies by age. Um, and so uh, the uh, American Sleep Foundation has a wonderful website that can tell you exactly how many hours of sleep um, kids need. I mean, it starts out between 10 and 15 hours a day as an infant. Um, to the point where, you know, as a toddler, you really should be getting close to nine hours of sleep. Um, I even tell my college students, you know, you should be getting seven to eight hours of sleep, and I can tell you they don't. Um, and uh, we're learning more and more the importance of sleep, um, not only as it relates to um, a healthy weight, but also in terms of the importance of brain development. And so um, as part of the total package um, for healthy growth and development, we really need to encourage good sleep habits, good sleep routines um, early on. We know that's difficult, you know, from the time the child is born. That's one of the major tasks of a parent is trying to get some good sleep routines uh, for their kids so that they can also get some good sleep because it really is a family practice that everybody is getting good sleep and has what's called good sleep hygiene um, so that you can support healthy growth and development both in terms of your physical health but also in terms of your brain growth and development. Mm -hmm. So moving on to screen time, mm -hmm. seems like everywhere you go, you know, kids are just obsessed with yeah. iPads and, and phones and television and 
What are some of your thoughts on screen time? Well, the American Academy of Pediatricians has recommended that uh, children under the age of two should not be exposed to any screen time at all. Um, And for those older than two years of age, two hours or less a day. And I can tell you that's exceeded by most children. Um, There's some averages of up to six hours a day by some kids. And of course, as as media has changed over the last decade, as you you mentioned, there are much more different types of media um, that children are exposed to. And not all of it is bad. I, I think that's, you know, one of the things that we have to understand. Some of it has become much more interactive and people are learning that some of this may actually be good for cognitive growth and development. Um, however, too much um, also prevents good, positive social interaction, which we know is so important for healthy growth and development for kids. We also know um, from extensive years of studies is that when children are exposed to television um, and also now to some of the new media um, is that there's a lot of targeted food advertising um, to kids. And the biggest concern is for kids under the age of eight who really can't distinguish between persuasion and Dora who is selling them sweetened cereals or different kinds of sweetened kinds of uh, foods because Dora is their best friend. And if Dora is their best friend and wants them to have these foods, then they're going to pester their parents um, to buy these products in the store. And um, the research has pretty clearly indicated that more exposure Um, just overall to watching television where kids are exposed to these kinds of commercials, then kids are more likely to ask their parents for these products in the grocery store. And, you know, 10, 20% of the time, the kids are going to throw a tantrum in the grocery store, and half the time parents give in. So how does um, distracted dining fit mm-hmm. into this? Because, I, you know, we were talking a little earlier, uh, spend a lot of time in our vehicles, running back and forth to mm-hmm. activities, and you eat meals in the vehicle, mm-hmm. and uh, or people eat in front of the TV. Mm-hmm. You know, what are some of the distracted dining temptations people have, and what are what does that do for our kids? Well, what we've found, work that we've conducted and others have conducted, is that if if you're distracted while you're dining, Um, First of all, you tend to eat more because you're just not really paying attention um, to how much you're eating. The other thing is for um, in-home dining, you tend to eat less vegetables, um, fresh fruits and vegetables, because either you're eating prepared food um, or you're eating out, so you have higher sugar and fat content. And then the other thing is, is that the work that we've been doing has shown the importance of being able to actually just talk and communicate with others. Um, and so if you're being distracted by either a screen or a telephone, um, then you're not talking with each other. And so we're not sure yet if that slows down the pace of the meal, perhaps, and then you're attending more to what you're eating. 
We do know from a socio-emotional perspective, it allows parents to learn more about what's happening with their kids' lives. Um, it also allows parents to attend to emotional cues. Um, so we think it provides a good environment for kids to sort of learn not to be distressed and um, an eating environment. Um, and it also provides a good way for parents to be role models uh, for their kids. And to role model, yeah, I'm going to eat the broccoli, so maybe you're going to try it too. Mm-hmm. So I guess to wrap things up, um, you've shared a lot of great information with us today. It's good to think about. Um, you know, I think there's a fine balance between helping kids understand being healthy themselves and then respecting other people's body images. So could you talk a little bit about how we as parents could could work to, to find a healthy balance there with our kids? Sure, absolutely. I think that, um, I hope the message that I get across today is that we're really talking about health and not about weight. Um, and that for children and for everybody to understand is that health is a very um, individual uh, sort of circumstance and that everybody is striving to be healthy in their own way um, and that there should not be stigma associated with size um, and that we want everyone to recognize that we may differ in hair color, we may differ in terms of skin color, um, and people differ according to size as well, and that people are striving to be healthy in the way that fits best for them. Great. Well, thank you so much for joining us today on Ask Aces. It was a, it was a true pleasure, and um, we'll look forward to chatting with you again in the future. Thank you. Thank you.